So my assignment to you is sometime in the next couple days, week at the latest, that you will go online and you would listen to the other two messages. Because in doing so, you will get a very well-rounded view of this chapter, this post-resurrection chapter. And all you have to do that, we have our website right on the screen there to access these messages. And what you're going to find is that no matter what our fears are, no matter what our temptations are, no matter what our doubts are, no matter what our failures are, Jesus loves us in the midst of those towards following him. In spite of our failure, in spite of our doubts, in spite of our questions, how can this be? Jesus is already in the midst, loving us forward towards following him. Let's begin with a question. What's your escape? Where do you go and what do you do to take a break, to turn off your mind, perhaps to escape the stresses of of life? For those that know me and know me well, you don't even have to know me that well to know what I'm going to say, board gaming. That's right. My escape is board gaming. In fact, my wife and I were playing a board game about taking your cattle and going to Kansas City yesterday, and she beat me by one point. Yes, there's a board game about taking your cattle to Kansas City. It's amazing. But she still beat me by that one point. Some of you out there have escaped with me in my board gaming escapes, and you want to do it again. So stay tuned. The next big invite will be the middle of May at my house. We do open house board gaming events, so stay tuned. It's coming. We all have escapes, don't we? Some people go to the golf course or take up running, and for me, either one of those seem like punishment rather than escape, but to each his own. Others love movies. And based on last week's Easter sermon, I'm sure all of you have been binge-watching binge-watching the Avengers series, the 21 movies that make up the whole Avengers series for this weekend's Endgame that came out. Others read books for their escape. Some love creating things. In fact, one of my board gaming buddies is a woodworker. And he created as an escape, as he was in his basement, he created this beautiful board gaming table that he gave me as a housewarming gift. Eric Camfield, our pastor of Downers Grove Branch, escape is fly fishing. Dave Garz, our worship leader at Downers, is grilling and telling the best of the worst dad jokes you will ever hear. Pastor Dave Bianchin builds guitars. Mark Kolkman, our chief ministry officer's escape, is painting with watercolors. Matt Sturm, one of our full-time tech team, builds. And he, also, he builds a lot of the backdrops that we have for our contemporary services. He makes these amazing wood pens, as does Larry Ludy, our HR director. And a little-known fact about our beloved Noelle Combs is that she has a black belt in judo. Just kidding. I'm just making sure you were paying attention. Yeah. Escapes are good, aren't they? We all need escapes. They give us opportunity to relax, switch gears, stretch our legs, build community. And we all know there's a time and place for an escape, though, however, right? I mean, imagine if Pastor Dan came walking into my office some Tuesday afternoon and I'm setting up a board game in the middle of my office, and I go, Dan, what color do you want to be? It's not going to look good on my review this year, will it? There's a time and a place. And there are those times 
where our escapes become maybe just that, an escape from facing reality, an escape that's no longer about unwinding and relaxing and building into ourselves something that builds community, that builds up who we are, but a, a receding back from life. It becomes a way to hide from the pain, from the fear, from the doubts of life. And as we begin here in John 21, I find myself wondering if this wasn't perhaps what was going on here with Peter and some of the disciples. John 21, verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So again, this is post-crucifixion, post-resurrection. Seven of the disciples are here on the scene. They have seen Jesus at least two other times, we're told. Because in Luke 24, and referenced by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, very intentionally pointing this out here, keep that in mind, singles out Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Their minds and hearts are probably still spinning. Their lives over the last few days have been anything but stable. The person who they built their hopes and dreams upon, not only did they see him crucified right before their eyes, but when Jesus needed them the most, they were falling asleep. They betrayed him. They denied him. And they ran and hid. But now Jesus is alive, bringing, I'm sure, great joy and fear and doubts and questions. And in case you think I'm exaggerating here, look what we find in Matthew 28. We gain a glimpse into this confusion, this doubt and fear. Matthew 28, what I'm about to read to you, is right before what we call the Great Commission. So Jesus is there with his closest disciples. The, the 11 are there, and he's about to ascend back up into heaven. And this is what we're told. Meanwhile, the 11 disciples were on the way to Galilee, headed for the mountain Jesus had set for the reunion. The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, some of the 11... Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. The NIV states, some doubted. So of the 11, they're here seeing Jesus again. He's about to go back up into heaven before them, giving them the great commission. And some are like, I'm not too sure about this. I have fears. I have doubts. I have failures. How is Jesus ever going to use me? So if you've ever doubted your faith, had questions about Jesus, you are in very good company. And my invitation to you this morning is to find yourself on this beach, on this scene with a campfire before us, 
in Jesus inviting us into him. Place yourself there and hear what Jesus invites you into. Hear how Jesus receives you, accepts you in the midst of your doubts. And again, we will discover that Jesus meets us in the midst of our fears, doubts, and failures to love us towards him. So here in John 21, this group that was first discipled by Jesus for three years is now doing something that I've often wondered about. They are back fishing. And as I read this, I have to wonder if they needed a bit of an escape, a distraction, so that they're doing something that comes natural for them. Remember, most of the disciples, especially the group that we have here, they were fishermen by trade for their whole life until Jesus I've often wondered how Peter said, I'm going to fish. I mean, was it said, hey guys, who wants to go fishing? Or was it said as a means of escape and not in a healthy way? Was it said, ah, forget this. Let's just go fishing. And were the other disciples there in the same way? Ah, might as well. Might as well. And the way Jesus so beautifully and lovingly crafts the flow of what is to come makes me guess that there is more going on here with Peter and the disciples emotionally and spiritually than we first might imagine. And let's continue unpacking this to see how Jesus meets them in the midst of their fear and doubt and questions and loves them forward. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered, he said. No, they they answered, he said. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And I love the ease at which Jesus works with them. To me, it's this gentle, loving, poking and prodding that Jesus does, setting their hearts and minds to the lessons right in front of them. And did you notice the last verse, the, 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 sentence, uh, the last sentence of verse 3? So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. They caught nothing. Peter and the disciples returned to something that brings them joy, perhaps, that brings them an escape. Something they know, if anything, they know they're good at this because they made a living off of it for many years. A whole night of nothing. And in case they weren't feeling like failures already, there's this guy on shore who they don't know, goes, hey, guys, what are you doing? Fishing? Oh, really? How much fish did you catch? Not really good at it. I could just see Jesus snickering under his breath as he's prodding them, poking them. And he goes, hey, maybe on the other side of the boat, try the other side of the boat. This is going to be good. I can just see Jesus doing that. And for whatever reason, for whatever reason the disciples do this, and I'm sure for me as I read this, I can also picture the disciples at this point, uh, let's just say swearing like a sailor comes to mind. Right? Some guy poking and prodding them about their no catch of fish all night. When they did, when they did, verse 6, 
put their nets on the other side, followed the directions of Jesus. They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped the outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Now, depending on your translation that you're using, this last sentence can be a little distracting because many translations say Peter was naked or Peter stripped for work. And just for a point of clarification, one night in my small group, uh, my daughter was about five or six years old, and we got in the conversation, as small groups sometimes do, your sleeping habits. Are you a hot sleeper? Are you a cold sleeper? Uh, what do you wear to sleep? Um, do you snore? That kind of thing. Well, my daughter was in our room, in the room as we're discussing this, and she's probably chomping on some goldfish as she did at that age. And all of a sudden, she blurts out, Daddy sleeps naked. Needless to say, she had all of our attention. Right? And then I had to explain the definition of naked to my four-year-old daughter. Her dad, me, is a hot sleeper. I sleep with no shirt on. Am I, are we close enough I can share that? Okay. I say, but I do have sleeping shorts on. All right? I'm a hot sleeper. So my definition for my daughter at four years old is no shirt equals naked. That's basically what's going on here. Peter stripped for work, naked as some translations say, meaning no shirt. All right? He's still appropriate. All right? That's what's going on here. So now, again, with the big ideas and this huge catch of fish. Verse 8, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals, there were, and there were fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Verse 11, so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. None of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And he had just asked them, come and have breakfast. Jesus came, verse 13, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay. Lots here, so I'm going to start connecting some of these dots. Jesus was loving Peter and the disciples to follow him beyond and in the midst of their fears, doubts, and questions, in the midst of their shame. Notice first how they caught the fish they were seeking. Or perhaps put it another way, how did they receive what they thought would bring them peace and escape? How did they receive that? By following the directions of Jesus. Jesus was in the midst of their escape. He was in the midst of their doubts and shame. He was there the whole time, even though they never saw him, even though they didn't recognize who was speaking to him, he was still there in their midst. Jesus tells them lovingly, in a very guiding way, Jesus tells them then to bring the fish they have caught, the fish that he has already provided them. And I think that's a beautiful picture Everything we have, we give back to God. He's already given to us first. It's an act of, gen we have a generous God. And he gives to us freely. 
and our act of giving back, we're only giving back what he first gave us. So Peter and the disciples come to the beach, and what does Jesus have over the fire being freely offered and prepared for them? Fish. What were they seeking after? Fish. What does Jesus have? Fish. It's almost as if Jesus is going, you want fish? I got fish. Can we move beyond the fish now? I'm going to slow down here a little bit. And I want us to really capture the beauty and the brilliance of what Jesus does here. And how he's working very intimately. Because he is. He's working very intimately with the disciples. Jesus is taking something they know well. Something they were looking to as an escape. The practice of fishing. And begins to remind them in the midst of their pain, their failure, their abandonment, their doubts, their fears, that he still has a plan for them. That he still will use them. Even though they failed, denied, abandoned, and have ongoing fears and doubts, they still have a calling on their lives. He has not abandoned them because of their failures or doubts. Because Jesus is more than our failures. Because Jesus is the risen Christ. Look at how Jesus reminds them of of his faithfulness to them. This isn't the first time that they experience a miraculous catch of fish. In fact, write this down, Luke 5, 1 through 11. Go there later today, later this week especially when you watch the other messages, because Jesus is building something here to remind them, to draw them in. In Luke 5, we have the first miraculous catch, almost identical, almost identical to this. They fish throughout the night. Jesus is teaching on shore people. It gets so crowded, he asks Simon, Peter, if he can go on the boat, they go out on the shore to begin to continue teaching. And Peter's like, we didn't catch anything. And Jesus goes, drop down the other side of the boat. And Peter's like, seriously? Jesus, I just said, we didn't catch anything. But whatever, because you said it, okay. And he throws it over. And they catch so much fish, the nets begin to break. And the boats begin to sink. Now in that story, you remember what Peter says? He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Here, when Peter finds out it's Jesus, what does he do? Dives in the water and runs to Jesus. To me, that's progress. To me, that's progress. You're moving beyond your sin. You're moving beyond your shame, your doubts and questions. And you're saying, I might have those, but that's Jesus. I want to go there. No, I don't see Jesus going, man, I totally forgot I did another miraculous catch of fish. I don't think Jesus works that way. I think Jesus knows fully well what he's doing here. And remember, because remember at the end of that first miraculous catch of fish, what did Jesus tell them? He said, from now on, you will be fishers of people. And we're told in Luke that they dropped their nets, they left their boats, and they followed Jesus. So here, in this beautiful second miraculous catch of fish, Jesus is like going, do you remember that? I got you. I called you. Can we get over the fish now? Can you just leave the fish? Here, have some more to eat. 
Let's get over it. There's more. You have to imagine that when they gather with Jesus and he gave them bread and fish, they're thinking as they receive them, man, deja vu. Where did this come from again? Where else did they receive bread and fish from Jesus? They saw Jesus do this 5,000 times. And you remember the end of that story? What was the lesson from that? The feeding of the 5,000. Remember Jesus says, now go out. After everyone had their fill of food for the day, go out and collect all the leftovers. Do you remember how many leftovers they had? They had 12 baskets of leftovers. And so here in John 21, when perhaps they're dabbling with the idea of walking away from Jesus due to their doubts and fears and shame, Jesus meets them in the midst of their swirling hearts and minds and reminds them and confirms the call he has placed on their lives. And on top of that, through a powerful memory, provides for them a visual reminder. A visual reminder when they place Jesus at the center of their life, he will take care of all their needs. He will take care of all, there's nothing to worry about. He's still with them. There's more to be done. Some of this was done for the group that was there, but there's also this very personal, intimate moment with Peter again. Now we know Peter's already been personally singled out and affirmed by Jesus because one of the first things we were told in Mark is that after the resurrection, the angels told the women who were at the tomb, go and tell the, Jesus' disciples and Peter. And earlier we heard from the Apostle Paul that Jesus not only appeared to the hundreds, but he also appeared specifically to Peter. And there's this personal mention again. So to me, it tells me that Jesus is taking a little extra time for some needed emotional healing that Peter needed. And in fact, this is perhaps why Jesus has this conversation over a fire. Because the last time we know that Peter was over a fire, what was he doing? He was denying Jesus. He was denying Jesus three times. And now over a charcoal fire, Jesus invites Peter back. Not to point the finger, but to say, hey, will you sit down and can we have a conversation? Will you eat with me? It's a sign of acceptance. A sign of community, a sign of love. And perhaps one of these stories or a combination of these stories, Peter is reflecting back to when he was writing in his epistle, 2 Peter By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. For we have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Peter knows this firsthand. John 21, 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said specifically to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
Well, there's a lot of questions to what these Jesus is referring to. Is it the disciples surrounding that fire that day? As Peter testified in Matthew 26, he would love, he would follow Jesus, even if everyone else fell away. He would follow Jesus by giving his very life. Is it the fish that Jesus is referring to? And Jesus again saying and pointing Peter to move beyond this escape. Get over the fish, Peter. Do you love me more than these? And regardless of what is meant by it, the key point I believe Jesus is making is where is the focus of Peter's ultimate love? Because as Sherry shared just a few moments ago, the place where your treasure is, what you treasure most, that is where your heart will be. So Jesus, is it here with the disciples? Is it here with these fish, something that you feel safe with? Where's your ultimate love? And as many of us will remember, Jesus goes on to ask Peter three times. And again, Jesus does nothing by accident. Three times, see the connection? Three denials. Three times, do you love me? And each time he basically waits for, with this dramatic pause. I can just picture it. Almost like, Peter, this isn't a rhetorical question. Do you love me? Forcing Peter to say it out loud. I don't know about you, but sometimes there, there's, that, there's a power in verbalizing something. There's a difference between your spouse, your best friend, your children just know they love you, and you say, honey, I love you. Sweets, as I call my daughter, I love you. There's a power in verbalizing it. And that is what Jesus is making Peter do. So why is Jesus going through such detail and vivid reminders of Peter and the disciples? It's because they need emotional healing. To fulfill their calling and mission, they need to know that Jesus is still with them beyond their betrayals, beyond their fear, beyond their doubts. Jesus still is inviting them forward in love. Imagine if Peter goes forward in his life and ministry with this nagging doubt. Does God really love me? I mean, I denied Jesus three times. How can he really use me? I've abandoned him. Sure, I saw the risen Christ, but I, I, I can never really now do that for sure. Jesus erases that. Richard Rohr writes, if we do not transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. Jesus was transforming Peter's pain so that he can get back with the program, so he can get back at what he's called into. I unfortunately saw a form of this in action as I recently was meeting with someone who was racked with guilt, racked with pain over a secret, secret sin that they had that literally is sabotaging relationships. Their guilt and pain so clouds their view of God for them that it's hard for them to see to God's love. And dare I say, I find this so common to make money. So many struggle with the guilt of a secret sin of one form or another. But please hear this. The hope and the truth of this passage shows us very vividly 
that Jesus meets us in the midst of our fears, doubts, and failures to love us towards following him. Our pain can be transformed and is transformed by the presence of the risen Christ. The disciples are examples of this. As we bring this more of a focus to our lives, I want you to find that fish. Each of you should have been given a fish when you came in this morning. Take that fish now and put it in your hands. As you hold that fish that you receive and as you look at that fish in your hand, I want you to hear these questions for you to consider. What's my fish? Ask yourself that. What's my fish? What fish do I need to lay down to better focus on Jesus? What fish am I using as an escape to distract me because it's easier, it's safer, it's more secure, it's more comfortable instead of letting go and following Jesus into the unfamiliar, the uncomfortable, and the new? What's my fish? I've placed on the cover of your, your bulletins the following idea by Ruth Haley Barton. She writes, Unfortunately, the Lenten season often gets reduced to the question, what are you giving up for Lent? And this is a fine question, but it can only take us so far. The real question of the Lenten season is, how will I repent and return to God with all my heart? Where in my life have I gotten away from God? And what are the disciplines that will enable me to find my way back? I love that. Second question, what fish, what pain from your past is Jesus trying you to get to say out loud so you can fully embrace God's love and power in your life? What fish, what is that thing in your life that you know stinks? that you know Jesus is calling you to verbalize, to share with him, with someone else around you that you trust as a spiritual friend, to move beyond so that he, so that you can truly believe and feel and experience the risen Christ and all the love and grace he promises. What is that fish, that thing in your past, that secret sin that stinks? that you need to verbalize and let go. If we're not intentional with these harder things of the soul, we all will go fishing. We all will go fishing because it's easier. The same Jesus who taught the disciples that morning on the beach is here now teaching and speaking to us. The same Jesus that met Peter and the disciples there on the beach, is here now and meets us in the midst of our fears, our doubts, our failures, to love us towards following him. Imagine, imagine if we let go of our fish and embraced the risen Christ. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are the risen Christ. Lord, Jesus, we thank you that you meet us where we are and lead us to where we can be in you. Lord, I ask that we would seriously sit with what is the fish in our life? 
What are you calling us to move beyond so that we can be with you in the calling that you have on our life to live for you, to love you for the sake of others? Lord, be with us this week, be with us this month, this year, as we follow you faithfully. And all God's people said, Amen.